Welcome to The Other Side of 40. My name is April Grant, and I'm here to help women make positive changes with their lives after the age of 40. Let The Other Side of 40 become your community to find inspiration and support to start the next chapter of your life. I'm excited to have a guest on today who's actually a friend of mine. Her name is Rodina Mesadieu. She's a licensed clinical social worker and owns Restore Wellness Counseling Center in Royal Palm Beach, Florida. She specializes in working with girls and women that have a history of trauma, but she's super passionate about helping women overcome their history of sexual trauma, family dysfunction, and relationship trauma. She takes a different approach where she tries to integrate insight-oriented therapy, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, expressive arts, and mindfulness. Man, that's a mouthful. She does also incorporate faith-based spiritual practices if you so choose. So without further ado, let's welcome Miss Rodina to the show. So it's great to see you, uh, Rodina. And I wanted to ask, and I'm going to start out with a similar question to what I've been asking. What, what aha moment brings people to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I would say an aha moment that typically brings someone to therapy, even on the other side of 40, right, are um, there is an event that happens in their life that makes them feel miserable. So sometimes it might be um, they're unhappy in their marriage and maybe they're either involved in an affair or they're aware that their husband is in an affair or that there has been an affair or that their marriage um, is having some issues that they're really trying to work out. Um, Sometimes it might be them wanting to start a new project and they're finding um, that this new project that they want to start there's some things that they're thinking about themselves, whether that's like self-doubt or whether that's um, decision-making around the project, whether that's getting started, whether that's procrastinating, and they wanna figure out, you know, what is it that's going on that is leading them to do this. Sometimes it's full-blown depression. You know, it's just, you know, coming in and they're noticing like, over time I've really tried to keep pushing and try to keep pushing and I'm at the point where I can't keep pushing anymore. And I know that there's things in my childhood that I need to address and I'm here to really address them so that I can live happier. Um, sometimes they're in transitional periods, whether they move to a new city and they don't know anyone and they're trying to figure it out. They're starting something new. Maybe they're changing. Maybe they're going through divorce or um, they're wanting to change careers um, and really connect with aspects of what makes them truly happy on the other side of, you know, being 40 or going towards middle age. And so there's really this idea that the way that my life has been going, I want this pivotal point to move me forward towards a change so that I can live fulfilled and I can live more authentically. Um, Cause that's the other part that I, that I hear is around, like I've been doing what I felt like I needed to do. You know, I went to school, I had my degree, I'm establishing my career and I still don't feel this big life fulfillment and I want right. to be able to have that. So what do you think, um, are there signs that are leading, that lead up to this point 
or do you really think it's just kind of a sudden change in thought process? Because for me, I think it was pretty sudden, but I'm wondering if other mm-hmm. people have more of a gradual change or um, steps that take them to that point. Right. Yeah. I think it's different for each person. I think for some people, it may be like for people who it's like a life change, I maybe would not say that it's gradual. Um, So maybe you felt like, like for affairs, right? You felt like I was happy in my life and then now I'm in this affair and I have no idea why. Mm. Um, That would be, um, although we can always look back and say, you know, oh, okay, I can see where my unhappiness started. But hindsight is twenty twenty. So in gotcha. that moment, it's like that big moment. And then for some people, they they realize that they have been unhappy for some time, um, and it's something that they've gradually either they've tried to do different things to help them to feel better, um, and it might work temporarily, but they still come back to the same place. Mm. So with the um, since you you mentioned affairs a couple of times. What do you think, do a lot of people, are they able to work through that and the couple stay together? Do, when they come to you, do they normally tell people? I mean, I guess, what is the kind of dynamic of that type of relationship if their unhappiness leads to uh, having an affair in their, mm-hmm. in their marriage? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have found just in my personal experience that the affair part is very difficult. Um, because most of the times when they're coming into therapy and what and I have experienced is that they're still married in the affair. Okay. Um, and so part of it has been that maybe their husband were aware of it's happening and they're trying to work through ending it um, and wrestling with that or that their partner is the one having the affair and they're trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do now? Because this is going to have a huge life impact, even if I know that I want to be divorced. Um, typically, if, if, if a couple is wanting to work through their marriage, they would go to marriage therapy um, to do that. And I have, I have seen that. That would be a different context, is coming into couples therapy for working through their affairs. So I think it just really depends on the outcome of, do I want to end my marriage? Or and ending my marriage would completely change my life. Right, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have family, you have kids, you have yeah. you know friends. Absolutely. Um, you know the divorce friends. <laughs> yeah. Too. Um, are yeah. you going to ask them to choose, or do you you know? Right. Are you are you going to ask them to your friends to separate, or mm-hmm. you know can you guys? Yeah be in the same room together and still be okay. Absolutely. And there's a financial impact too. Yeah. You know, there's a huge financial impact of the stability that you were able to build in your marriage mm-hmm. um, versus the instability that you may feel that you're going to have by ending your marriage and going into divorce. Um, yeah. I, I remember when we started last year. So um, after my epiphany, part of it was marriage counseling for us as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was telling my husband about a show. I don't remember the name of it, but it's about co-parenting and mm-hmm. how they kept the house for like the caregiving parent and yes. the guest house for the non-caregiving parent for that week. So yes. the parent was that show on OWN? Huh? Was that show on OWN? Because I feel like no, I it's on ABC. Oh, okay. is there one on OWN too? Yeah, it was like these black couples, and one of the couples were going through divorce, and uh, they did that. Yeah, and I just thought I was talking to my husband, and he's like, 
that doesn't exist. And I said, yeah, it does. I'm literally watching a television show where <laughs> that's kind of the theme is keeping the kids stable Absolutely. while the parents do all the moving since the parents are the people who kind of cause the upheaval. And do you, have you experienced that a lot in your practice or at all mm-hmm. in your practice so far? I haven't, I haven't specifically experienced someone who's practicing that, but I've had a lot of dialogue around that, um, that being a new phase. And, and the thing with that's ideal, I think for the kids and depending on how old the kids are, um, when this is happening, when the separation is occurring, however, you have to be financially in a place where you could do that. Right. And most of the time people aren't financially in place where they could continue to pay for their house that they were living in and then also manage individual homes for themselves. Right. Um, So I think the other caveat in being able to do that. Now, what do you what do you think is the I don't know, the best tips for getting through making the transition? Obviously, I think therapy is really important because Mm -hmm. you have a lot of programming that you've grown up with and it's hard to see outside of that it's hard to understand um, a different way to think about things because you've been thinking about everything for the same way so I think a therapist is always great because they can get in and really show you other sides of the story that you want to tell for yourself Um, what do you think is the best way to go about it if you have this like aha moment should they dive into books do you have recommendations for books mm-hmm. should they go to therapy initially immediately is that like a first thing what do you think yeah. i obviously i i'm a little biased because i am a therapist right right um, and i think that i believe that everyone should have a therapist and everyone should have been to therapy at a certain point now what at what point in your life that it leads you to go to therapy you know, that's on the person. And so I would say if you're having this pivotal moment, for sure, go to therapy. Um, Therapy is your first step in really starting to break down those things. Um, We want to be able to process ourselves all in our head and do all the work when we have, you know, trained professionals that can sit down and put those pieces together with you. I always tell, you know, my clients that it's a collaborative process. I'm here to facilitate what you want to see within yourself. You don't have to do that on your own. I'm here to support you and guide you through that process. And through all of the thoughts and connecting your experiences and, you know, obviously the, what I know on my end and I, and I bring that up for the clients because it's not just helpful for me to have that information, but to help you guide them through um, that awakening. So I would definitely say going to therapy would be a first step. Um, Identifying what, and and this is tricky because sometimes identifying what change looks looks like maybe that is why you're going to therapy is to see what change would look like but then on the other end some people know what they want like for example some people know I don't want to be in my marriage anymore or some people know I've been single for so long and I have to rethink what I thought I wanted now that I'm in an older age you know I thought maybe I wanted to be or that I would be married and with a child by now or maybe I never wanted to be married and then now I'm in my 40s I have to rethink what that is going to look like for me in my life. Am I still maintaining or am I making a shift and starting towards something else, right? And so some people are goal, have that goal in mind before they come in. And I would say it's, it's good to at least have one or two things that you would like to get out. Um, me as a trauma therapist, I think that your family of origin, so the family that you were raised in, that makes a huge impact and shapes how you develop 
as a person and even your beliefs and perceptions. And so being able to work through, well, what has been your traumas in your life? What has been your stressful events in your life? And how have you dealt with that in the past? Because that will be a determining factor of how you will naturally want to deal with it here. And we have to cipher through what are the strengths that you've been able to grab hold on to and then being able to work on your areas of development with living a fulfilled life moving forward. So would you recommend them still get a therapist, even if they don't know what they really want to change? If they just know things are going crazy and life seems to be spiraling, they don't know how to stop it. They don't have a clue of what to do. Do you recommend them going to get a therapist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Because therapy can help you start to figure out what that change will be. And I think our life spiraling, our body knows everything that's going on before we have the conscious idea around it. So our brain is literally like 95% unconscious and our body talks to us to let us know, hey, something is wrong. So it does that in a medical way, right? We get pain, we get colds, we get illnesses to say, your body is not functioning correctly. Our mind and brain does the same thing. And that's how we experience it through how we make decisions in our life, through our behaviors, through how we're handling our emotions. And so even if you don't have the conscious thinking around, this is where I want to go, intuitively, as you start to unpack that, you'll be able to gain more clarity. And having a therapist support that can be, um, can be helpful. Now, here's a question, because um, I've been the several therapists over my life. Um, I had major uh, depressive disorder in college and then I lost our, we lost our son um, uh, 13 years ago now. And I spent quite a bit of time in therapy and now we're actually back in therapy. So with, I'm in therapy, my husband's in therapy and we're in marital therapy together. Um, So with all of that, how do you find a good one? And how do you know that it's being effective? Because sometimes I feel that like the first couple sessions may be really good and -hmm. then it falls off a cliff and it's like, then there's doesn't seem to be any progress. And then I've had the other side too, where Mm -hmm. you'll start therapy and you're like, this is really slow. I I don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of it. And then Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you turn around and you're like, you've done all this work. What are you really looking for when you're looking for a good therapist? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love this question. Um, one, what are you looking for when you're looking for a good therapist? And then the other part of this is what I'm hearing is how can I continue to assess that the therapy is being beneficial for me? Yes. Um, yeah. So that's the two part of that. So one, finding a good therapist, 100% research shows that 70% of progress is through relationship building. We are connected beings. And I really believe like God made us to connect with other people to where we don't feel alone. And that's a huge part of the therapeutic process. So when you're looking for a therapist, I think it's important to look for someone that you know, that you can see that you could build a relationship with, whether that's in an intro call, I always do intro calls, um, where it's, we're, talking about what's going on and you're getting a little bit of a feel of who I am versus who you are, what you're looking for and what that would look like. Um, It's great to have questions. Like if, you know, I know you mentioned what if the person doesn't know um, what they want to get out of therapy. 
but see what that dialogue looks like with a therapist. Okay. I don't, mm. don't know what I want to get out of therapy. What does, what, what is therapy going to help me do with that? What would be the approach with that? Right. So actually it's, ask it's, the therapist that question yes. and you're, especially when you're unsure. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then of course, you know, in the initial call, you don't have a lot of background information, so they're not going to be able to give you like a specialized approach, but they can give you an idea. And that way, if you talk to one or two therapists or three, if you'd like, um, you get a feel on different people's responses and what felt more intuitively connected to where you would like to go forward. So that's, that's one. Um, two, maybe you know exactly what you want to work on. You mentioned, you know, in your, um, transparency of dealing with depression. And so you would want to go to a therapist who has experience in dealing with depression and maybe that's their specialty or maybe their specialty is working with women's issues um their specialty might be working in trauma or you know that you've experienced sexual abuse in your past and you're like i know that that's there and i've never dealt with it and i'm wondering if that's making an impact here so maybe i'll go to someone who might have that specialty as well so i can work through some of that that has happened in my past so you want to, even if you don't have a clear idea of what you want to get out, but ask questions on like, what is your therapy style? How do you build relationship in therapy? Um, you know, of course, we all want to establish trust and a safety zone in therapy, but have some questions that you really want. What would make you feel comfortable with that therapist? I think that's one of the big things um, because it's 30% intervention, 70% relationship. And that's key. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I never heard that. of it that way. I mean, yeah. that makes sense though, because I think when you feel closer, you feel like they have your best interests at heart Absolutely. and that you can not only tell them things, but they're going to give you guidance back that you're going to believe in. Cause when you don't have that relationship, which I, like I said, I've gone to several, like I've had multiple bouts, but within each bout I've had multiple therapists because I was looking for the right one. Yeah. Um, Although I didn't have an outline of what I should be looking for. I was just like, this doesn't seem to be working. Let me try someone else. Um, But I would, uh, now now I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Um, But in the sessions, it was just very, the people that I did not have that connection to, I wasn't willing to listen to because I'm like, do they even, are they listening? And I guess really I felt like, are you really listening to me? Like, are you actually listening to me or you just have this predetermined notion of what you're going to say mm-hmm. and you're ready to spit it out <laughs> when I walk in the door? Yeah. Um, so that's good. So 30% intervention, 70% relationship. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you just really want someone to hold space with you and like you mentioned, understand what you're going through and help walk you through that. Gotcha. So there's that part. Um, when you are participating in therapy though, it's therapy is more about the client than it is about the therapist. Okay. The therapist is guiding and leading you and facilitating you. Right. Mm -hmm. But you get out of therapy, what you put in. And that is not necessarily mean that it may be the therapist is not a good fit. If Mm -hmm. you're not finding yourself to do that, but then there's also parts where it's like, okay, well, what are you doing outside of session in order to help progress you and not just using the therapeutic conversation to only be the time that you're working through things. So that can be some, um, you know, you talk to your therapist about 
what's going on that it doesn't feel like it's working and that's a conversation to have with a therapist. I actually today have a, an appointment with a new therapist. Um, I've been working with my previous therapist almost three years, September would have been three years. And she was really great in getting me started. Like I knew that I had um, trauma in my life that I had never dealt with. I never went to therapy. I was a therapist. So I'm like, okay, I know that I need to go to therapy for this. Um, and I hadn't. And I just realized like, I just keep on getting in these relationship patterns and they're unhealthy and I can see that it's unhealthy and I still do it. So I was like, something right. is wrong. Something is wrong with yes, me. Definitely. It can't be all of them, right? And so, um, so I went to therapy and, um, and that's when I really started to label my trauma, you know, label the trauma of like history of sexual abuse or absent father or distant emotionally unavailable family system. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at the, at the time I wouldn't have had the language to even know that I needed that, um, in my therapy, because I was just like, I don't know, relationships are just not working out for me. And that's why (laughs) I'm going to therapy. Right. So, um, so that was very helpful for me. She was very pivotal in my first bout of going to therapy, right? In, in mm-hmm. the introduction part. And then I started to feel like, I don't know. I just don't feel like this is pushing me any forward. I feel like we're having, it felt more supportive than it felt like leading and guiding. Um, and it felt more like, okay, everything is going to be okay. Rather than like, no, I'm like year three in where we're, we're going to be keep digging it in and me being a therapist probably doesn't help, you know? Right, right, right. Not, you know, like, okay. You say doctors make the worst patients. Listen, yes, <laughs> yes. And I will say that I probably has been some of that in some sessions. Mm. So I'm like, mm, I don't know where you're going with this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. But I had to intuitively know that I know what I needed. And, and what I got from that therapist in those two and a half years was very helpful and beneficial. But at a certain point, I needed something more. I needed something else because I was also in a different place than when I was when I first entered therapy. Right. The conversation we don't have openly as much. We always want to say, how do you find a good therapist? How do you find a good therapist? But it's okay to have multiple therapists right. you know, along because you are in a different place um, years later as you continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean anything about that therapist, but maybe you just have different needs that someone else can so imagine you you did the intro work you feel like there's a relationship how many sessions should you give a therapist before you're like this isn't working should it be I mean I know it it's it would be a range because obviously if the first session sucks then you know but what would you say would be a good amount of time that a therapist and a client work together before the client can assess whether or not it's effective yeah so in regards to just finding a new therapist, I would say you want to give that at least a few sessions, maybe at least three right? okay. sessions on seeing if this is someone that I can relate to. Okay. okay. Um, is, is this someone I can see myself building trust with? That I would say give that about three, three to four sessions. Now, if therapy isn't working for me, I would say you want to give, give that three months because the initial process if she's someone that you could she or he is someone that you could relate to mm-hmm. um then you are constantly building that relationship but you're talking about effectiveness in the beginning that a lot of that is around getting to know each other getting to know right each other, opening up all that that you had in your life before you even got to that point and I, I think sometimes people can feel like I feel like I'm just venting or talking and I'm not really getting 
getting through anything. And sometimes that's part of the process um, mm. of the initial part of therapy. So for you to start digging those things up and really start to see some change in your life, I want to say you want to give yourself at least two to three months in that therapeutic process to where you're starting to make those connections. And that's if you're going on a weekly basis. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's also another thing because I, I definitely, I'm a talker. And so mm-hmm. I have been to several therapists where I just felt like I just talked the whole session mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was week after week and I wouldn't particularly feel any better when I got done. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, I vented, but I kind of vented to myself before right. I walked in and now right. I'm venting to her. Yeah. And then there, are, there was no steps. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. well, think on that or do something with it. It was just like, great, time's up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I come back the next week and it felt exactly the same. So um, I definitely know that there there are therapists out there that just allow you to do a lot of talking without a lot of uh, referrals um, or expect homework or expectations or anything like that. Should you get homework from your therapist? I am a homework therapist. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm like you, I'm like, okay, I'm going to share all these things, but I want to know how, how is this going to help me when I leave this? session right right so I, at the end of my conversation I'm always like okay based off of our conversation today what do you think is going to be helpful for you to work on this week even if you did most of the talking you mm-hmm. still have insight right through talking right and so I give homework and usually I'm a more structured therapist where I do have like either curriculums or modalities or books that we're going through or whichever um, that I have in mind as we're building relationship and as we're um working through your goals and so i'm a homework therapist everyone isn't some people just give homework so it's important to know what you're okay with like are you okay with going to a therapist that doesn't give homework or do you want someone to maybe have more structure and say okay we always are working on something outside of session okay and what about the relationships that you're building so when you're in therapy obviously you're the whole purpose is to work on you not Mm -hmm. work on external people it's for you to get um uh mentally healthier yeah um should that have a reflection i mean obviously it should but how does that affect the people around them and how is that a struggle when you're going through therapy and you're changing and you have friends and family around you um and they kind of fight back and how do you kind of cope with that Yes. So part of starting therapy um, and working through therapy is that what was what may have been okay for you as you were living your life and the people that you had in your circle or the relationships that you had, when you start to really figure out like what your needs are, um, some of those people may still be people that you found to be valuable. And then the other ones are more like, wow, now I'm in a different place and now I see this relationship differently and so there could be some changes on who you decide to interact with who you decide are your safe people and who you decide to share so that does that can change your friendship and what I find even in working through like trauma and family stuff is that it starts to change how you view your family um Mm -hmm. it, it changes like there's like a grief and a loss there as well because it's oh I thought I was experiencing this in one way Mm-hmm. Or there's a grief and a loss when maybe you're the only one in your family going through therapy. And right. so now you're working on all the things that are coming from being in your family, either generational patterns or, you know, family stuff. 
that you're recognizing yourself and you're having to hold the weight of all of that generational cabin and you're the only one working through that. So there's like a grief of like, I don't, I, I had to deal with that. I was like, it's so unfair that <laughs> these things that are happening before that I was even alive, that's being passed down to why it's part of my life, that now I'm the one having to carry that. I'm the one having to like work through my relationship with my brother or I'm the one who's having to like be a certain way with my mom to improve those interactions, you know? And sometimes right. it feels, I want y'all to be doing that with me too. Yeah. Um, so there, there can be a grief around that awakening um, of the loss of what your relationships are, but there can also be like an improvement, right? And you are more fulfilled and you really, you relinquish certain expectations that may not have been realistic to have in the first place mm-hmm. so that you can truly engage in a more authentic experience with this person rather than the ideas that you thought you had about it. So that's interesting. You before therapy, you kind of can have this idealistic uh, relationship like framework. Mm-hmm. You look at it, maybe you see it on TV, maybe you see it in friends and family, something they have, and then you want to replicate that. Yeah. And that's just you have to let kind of let that go sometimes. Like you have to really assess whether that relationship is going to be able to look anything like that do you suggest that they kind of wipe the slate clean and start from scratch or where do you where would you go yeah I don't believe in starting from scratch okay um, because I think that we can't just erase all of our memories and things and hurts and joys happen in all of that right and so I think everything is a learning experience and you actually begin to build more intimacy when you're able to walk through some of that stuff and then go on the other side and use them as lessons and even as indicators on how to engage effectively in those relationships. So I don't think it's like, okay, let's wipe that whole thing clean because they happen for a reason. And, you know, I don't know if you talk a lot about faith, but I do think everything happens for a reason. And that's part of our testimony. And that's part of our restoration of who we are and how we present ourselves in our relationship. Now, with moving forward, I think it's important to acknowledge what those are. Acknowledge like, hey, I'm really going to have to let go of, you know, maybe I really expected my mom to always know what to say to me every time I'm bringing her my stress. And in order for me to show up authentic in my relationship with my mom and have and still continue to feel fulfilled, I can't expect her to be my therapist because she just does not have the skills to do that. So when I had that expectation of her to always know what to say to me to help me feel better, then it constantly leaves me in this unfulfilled state. Now I still have a relationship with my mom, but now I expect it to be, to be more authentic in what I know she can provide. And, I, and if those are my needs, I go in spaces where I know that that could be fulfilled and not leave all of that on, on her, for example. Well, what I think you said is, uh, what I, what I heard was pretty interesting because I think we do put a lot of expectations on others. Mm -hmm. Um, on a previous podcast, we talked about how we put our parental expectations on our marriages and, you know, bringing that in because we have an expectation either from having a great upbringing or having a not so great upbringing and what, how we wanted to look in our marriage. And we kind of shove it down our spouse's throats That's right. and they don't typically appreciate that <laughs> so. yeah. and it's unfair 
It is. It's like, okay, now I have to be responsible to fulfilling all of your wishes and your dreams and your desires. Um, and it, and it can happen. Right. But is it somewhere that it's, it's a shared meaning, it's a shared space and it's a realistic expectation based off of who that person is. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see, do I have any other questions? Um, oh, so when you go through therapy, um, it's hard. Do you, I mean, I know therapists have, have to abide by HIPAA laws Mm -hmm. and they keep their stuff quiet. How much should the person share what they're going through to their friends and family? Mm -hmm. Um, should they be open and just say, Hey everybody, I'm in therapy or should it be a slow rollout or should it just be kept to themselves and then kind of allow the people around them to Mm -hmm. see the changes? Yeah, that's a great a great question and always something that you're working through um, is who do I share my story with and Brene Brown um, she does a phenomenal job with around vulnerability and shame and and this aspect of like vulnerability is not telling everyone you know your your information or your life people have to earn your story they have to earn the right to be in that space with you so I personally would say everyone doesn't need to know that you're in therapy um and it's also based off of you as a person. So now, you know, I obviously in a public platform share that I'm in therapy and I give that off as a general sense of I'm in therapy, right? And I'm okay right. with that. And that doesn't create any aspects of negativity for me. So if I could do that in a place where I feel like that's safe, then I'll share it. Now the individual intricacies of what I talk through in therapy, I'm going to make sure I do that with someone who is capable um, to hold that space with me, who's trustworthy, and who I know that if I share this with this person, they're not gonna go and share that with anyone else, right? Mm. I'm only sharing what I'm comfortable with with this person, and you have to think about why you're sharing this, because sometimes people will use therapy to unintentionally manipulate a dialogue in the conversation with someone else, whether that's something that they want to get out with that person, or maybe it's like a blame, like, oh, I'm in therapy because of what you did to me, or, you know, Mm. or so they might use it for that. And then they get a negative response. And then now you have this hurt and pain related to your therapy session, right? So you have to be careful who you share that with, because people will assert their opinions about your therapy when you share it with them. And that can make an impact on how you feel about being in therapy um, because not everyone is as supportive as we would like them to be. Um, and people have their stigmas as well. They have their ideas online. You know, like I just had this tweet someone say, someone told them, well, you don't need therapy. You just need to go and pray. You know, you just need to go and, and talk to God and that's your therapy. And so that can create you to feel self-conscious. I'm like, okay, do I really need this? As you've already decided that this is something that you're working through. So I think you have to be mindful as to who you share your specific intricacies with to make sure that that continues to be a therapeutic space. Because your therapeutic space is not just in the office. It's also outside of the office of what you're working on and who you share that with. Okay. Well, I do know... um, I met you through church. So (laughs) I definitely know you are a God-fearing woman. So I do want to touch a little bit more on what you just said about Mm -hmm. prayer, because a Mm -hmm. lot of Christian women just say, just pray to God. And that sounds great, Mm -hmm. except for 
how effective is it on its own mm-hmm. to just pray about issues? Right. So um, I would not say that it's ineffective to pray on, on your own, right? Because I do believe in the sovereignty of God and I do believe that God alone um, can change anything, right? However, I don't agree with the notion that you cannot also have other things along with the sovereignty of God that will help you in your healing property. So we're okay with going to doctors. And some people, and this goes with medical doctors too. Like I'm in a, I grew up in a Caribbean family and they think they could just go and pray. I literally, no lie, my mom, I don't want to put her out, but <laughs> she was literally like, Christians can't get the coronavirus. And I, from like a scripture of like diseases and all of this stuff. And she was like, I just need to pray and, and the Christian is not going to get coronavirus. And that is not biblical. That's not biblical. <laughs> right. um, but there is aspects where it's like God is sovereign enough. There's a belief that God is sovereign enough that he could do and heal anything. However, I do believe that he, he brought doctors into the world. He brought science into the world. He brought um, knowledge, intellect. He brought people to connect us with each other he uses so many different things to show his presence and it's not only through prayer and prayer can even be used in therapy um i have prayed with clients in therapy before and you know and even working for me i prayer is an area in my spiritual walk that i want to continue to grow on and i talk to my therapist about that like hey when i pray sometimes i don't always feel emotionally connected and I realized that that came from my fatherlessness, right? And so because I'm working through fatherlessness and I'm having to see God as a father and building that intimate connection, I had to work through that in therapy. Um, mm. So those are how those things can go in together too, of being able to connect like, how is my earthly life impacting my spiritual life? Um, and so I, I think that they coincide and he uses all of them to bring you back to him. Well, I definitely think that's important. I hear, unfortunately, too many people who don't want to take that step because, and my, 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 my non-spiritual, I don't know if I want to say non-spiritual, but the way I look at it is even when you're praying, it's still your own understanding of the world. Yes. And you can manipulate God's word however your programming is Mm -hmm. and that's not always effective Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Mm -hmm. try to manipulate the world um and sometimes getting that other person involved and that's one of the things i really appreciate about our church is Mm -hmm. you know we did the god's design for therapy god's design for marriage Mm -hmm. and they said at the end if you're struggling with these things come talk to us we have counselors we have guidance guidance counselors to really help you through because you're only leaning on your understanding of whatever you do, whether it's therapy, whether it's um, reading the Bible, whether it's reading other books and you are interpreting it through the lens of your programming and not the lens that someone else has seen and maybe able to open up more doors and understanding. And it's actually biblical to go to a counselor. Okay. It's, it's, it, God talks a lot about having wise counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we can use that in a context of like having a, a spiritual mentor, having an older person or having pastoral care. 
But a wise counselor can also be a therapist. It can be a counselor. That's right. even one of God's identity is he is our counselor, right? Um, and then there's a lot of scriptures around people being part of what builds up a believer and builds you up in your spiritual walk. And so I think there's enough principles to say, if I'm bringing this person in to build me up in the things that I'm struggling with and the things that um, are impacting me and my burden, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like God carries with me, but he also tells me that people can help bring me up through that. Um, I think the principles of the Bible also shares that it, it would be appropriate that counseling is part of that. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, um, we're coming to the tail end. Is it, are there any side notes? Did it, was there anything that I missed that you wanted to share? You asked about book recommendations. Oh yes, definitely. I want, I always share my favorites. Um, So one of my, my, one of my most favorite books that I always share is Darren Greatly by Brene Brown. And um, Brene Brown actually goes to therapy later on in life as a therapist. Um, And Mm -hmm. she shares about that and she shares about like um how this shame research that she does just completely breaks down her idea of vulnerability and what it means to show up for yourself mm-hmm. and and in this you know i love what you're doing with the other side of 40 and this conversation about like okay when you're at this point where you're wanting to change and life does not stop right we can right. start new life right and we can continue to empower ourselves even if it's a different way from how we decided to do that before we were 40. Um, so I love that notion of what you're doing. And I think there's a lot of vulnerability to being able to do that. Right. And I, well, I find that my friends at this age tend to be a lot more open with what's going on, but mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot more uh, hesitant to make changes because they know making the changes at this point mm-hmm. has an impact much broader than it does when you're 20. Yeah. You make a decision when you're 20, typically you're single, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in college, you haven't even chosen a place to live. You don't have, you're not really mm-hmm. far into your career, but when you're 40 or older, you know, you have families, you have expectations, you have bills, probably a mortgage, probably, you know, invested time and effort in your surroundings, your community. Yeah. So making changes is a lot more difficult because it's not just a singular, typically it doesn't just affect you. Mm-hmm. It affects everything around you and you have to be able be ready to accept the way people will feel about you when you start making the changes. Yeah, I, I completely agree about what you're saying. Um, and so I would, I would recommend Darren Greatly, Renee Brown, she talks about how vulnerability will shape how you lead um, okay. and how you parent and how you show up in the world. And she also has this book called The Gift of Imperfection. Okay. And that one is how your imperfection can be your strength and the aspect of showing your courageousness um, in your life. And so I love all, all Brene Brown's um, books. So she, I, she's definitely one that I would recommend. On a spiritual side of things, I would recommend um, Lies Women Believe, you know, and that's by Nancy Lisa Moss. And she goes through through, um, in a spiritual context, how the world shapes lies that we believe about ourselves and how mm. that impacts how we have shown up spiritually and how we have shown up in our world. So she goes through spiritually how to change those, those lies and turn them into truths that we could really hold on to. Um, okay. So be like my two recommendations. All right. Um, well, thank you very much for your time. I really you. appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And-
thank you. <laughs> oh, do you have any social media handles or anything for where people can find you and follow you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So um, my website is restorewellnesscounseling.com. And then that is my, my name on all handles, Instagram, Facebook, um, which will be Restore Wellness Counseling. On, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Okay. All right. Well, if you like this episode, please like and subscribe and leave a comment on Apple iPass. I, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. I don't know. I was mixing uh, podcasts and iTunes together. Apple. Apple Podcasts. Yes. Thank you. Awesome.